Lord, there is no one like you, and we come to worship our God. And uh, you are stronger, you are greater, you're higher than any other. And we want to just lift you up and praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Water, water, you turned into wine. You opened the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. There's none like you. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. There's none like you. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Water you turn. Water you turned into wine. You opened the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. There's none like you. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. There's none like you. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. And if, and if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? Then what could stand against? Our God. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God, our God. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. And if, and if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And what could stand against? What could stand against? What could stand against? Amen. God is not just our God. He is my God. And he is everything. So let's just right now make this our prayer. In our breathing, in our sleeping, in our waking, in our resting. God is there with us. God in my living.
It's only because of the cross that uh, we can even come before him. And so we want to ask the Lord to lead us to that place and remember what he did for us on the cross. Savior, I come. Savior, I come. Quiet my soul. Remember. Redemption's hill where your blood was spilled for my Everything I once held dear, I count it all as lost. Lead me to the cross where your blood poured out. Lead me to my knees where I lay me down. Rid me of myself, I belong to you. Lead me to the cross where your love 
along with us. This is my prayer. This is my prayer in the desert when all that's within me feels dry. This is my prayer in my hunger and need. My God is the God who provides. This is my prayer in the fire. In weakness or trial or pain, there is a faith proved of more worth than gold. So refine me, Lord, through the flame. I will bring praise, I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice, I will declare. God is my victory and he is there. This is my prayer in the battle. This is my prayer in the battle. When triumph is still on its way. I am a conqueror and co-heir with Christ. So firm on his promise I'll stand. I will bring praise, I will bring praise, no weapon formed against me shall remain, I will rejoice and I will declare, God is my victory and he is here. All of my life, all of my life, in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to worship. All of my life, in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. One more time, all of my life. All of my life. In every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. Yes, I have a reason to worship. I will bring praise. I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice. I will declare. God is my victory and he is here. This is my prayer. This is my prayer in the harvest when favor and providence flow. I know I'm filled to be emptied again. The seed I received I will sow. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you meet us even in the desert times in our lives. Amen and amen. Fidel?
So first things first, everybody, if you can open up your announcements, please. And if you see there on the right-hand side, oops, you'll have uh, your prayer request. So if you have any requests, please make sure you fill it out. Put it into the offering bag when it comes around. Um, and if you are a newcomer, please go ahead and uh, introduce yourself there. And uh, we'll make sure we'll have our prayer warriors be praying for you. Um, we have uh, coming here, can't believe it's already that time of year, Operation Christmas Child. So uh, this is, uh, it's well underway. Uh, we have boxes that we can still drop off. We have until November 6th to get this done. Um, I strongly suggest if you have the time to take your time and then just go out there and, you know, just one night. I know that um, I think the youngest you can have is 12 years old, 13 years old, about so. 14? Okay. So I remember Isaiah and I went out there a couple uh, a few years and uh, it was just a blast. You know, you, you package these packages, you put these toys and treats and stuff that goes in there, and it's just amazing that, you know, it's coming from your hands here in the States to a third world country, if it's Honduras or whatever it may be, and they get to enjoy what some of our children probably take for granted, right? So um, if you have some time, make sure you, you go out there and uh, it's a good time out there. Um, we also have uh, 2017 church directory. So please make sure you brush your hair, brush your teeth, and don't wait until the last minute, okay? You can go right out up front, update your photo, and let's make sure that uh, we, we, we get uh, your pretty faces on our uh, directory there. And then we have a senior Bible study night. That is going to be October 20th at 1215 at Irvine Presbyterian Church. So if you have any questions, please contact Ron. Um, and if you're interested in joining a small group, um, strongly suggest it. I know uh, once uh, Olivia and I joined a small group, it, uh, it is. It is a life changer, and it, it is awesome. So it's going to be a potluck. So uh, child care is going to be available for those that do have children. And if you are not part of a small group, then you have a chance to come out and see what it's all about. And for those that are uh, in small groups, you know, we can meet and we can chat about our studies and it'll be a great time of, of a fellowship. And then uh, we have a meeting Saturday, October 26th, that is uh, with the park, or uh, 22nd, excuse me, from 7 to 9 at Irvine Presbyterian Church. And last but not least, please make sure you mark your calendars for Friday, October 28th, from 6 to 8.30 p.m. for all the church business meeting at Journey Christian. So there's gonna be updated, books and balances, uh, see what's coming up next, you know, as far as um, our new facility. And uh, that's going to be uh, a great time to answer questions and everything like that. So uh, the special announcement is for those who have any interest in doing VBS. This is to encourage you to step up and lead our children into a wonderful week of programming during the summer. Also, this is a call for teachers. These kids here, they didn't really want to come up. <laughs> and we didn't get a whole lot of chance to practice. But was that fun, you guys? Oh. <laughs> Promised Land is about learning God's word, building family, and having a good time. So we are currently in great need of teachers. We have sign-ups that are going to be going around um, in, in the worship area. We have teachers um, for grades 1 through 6 only in December. We do not have teachers for next month. And we have hardly any teachers come 2017. So I implore you, if you have even a small desire for these kids to come to know the Lord better, and you have a desire to serve our children in this important ministry here at Harvest, please, please take the time, say a prayer, and I challenge you to write your name on that paper, and we will be happy to contact you. And if you are unsure about what to do, we will get you coupled to partner with a teacher who's taught in the past, and we'll help you um, to, to lead the kids um, 
in Promised Land. So kids, let's take a final bow. And um, just to let you know, Sammy C's here only for a limited time. So <laughs> probably won't be seeing her for a while. OK, everybody, take a bow. Thank you so much. You know, I, I know you hear this announcement um, often about the need for Promise Land teachers. Um, and as Sammy said, it, it really is an opportunity to serve the Lord. And it's such an important part of who we are as a church. And it's such an important part of our future as a church. And so even if you have never done it before, but you're willing to let God use you, and you want to let God use you, um, then please just indicate that um, on your welcome card. Even right now, just, just mark that I'm interested in knowing more about being a Promise Land teacher. And we'll contact you and we'll give you more information so that you can learn what it might be like to be able to serve our children. So let's pray for that right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. And Lord, you became a human being just like us so that we could know you. Father, as adults, we have an opportunity to do something like that, to humble ourselves and to become like a child again and love our children and help them. Father, I pray that for every heart here, even right now, that there would be a moving that would allow each of us to say, Lord, I, I'm willing. Lord, I'm willing. I don't know how. It sounds a little scary to me, but I'm willing because I know that this is what the children need, and I know that this is what I would like to give. So, Lord, we pray that you would indeed raise up a team of teachers, even today, for the coming month and for the coming year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Um, well, um, it's good to be back. I was, I was gone for just the last couple of weeks, was on vacation. And um, this was like the busiest vacation I've ever had, I think, in my life. Um, I had committed to a couple of friends who had asked me to preach at their church. And they've been asking me for the last year uh, or so. And um, I said, well, I'm going on sabbatical, so I, 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 want, I don't want to work during sabbatical. So I can't preach then. And so I said, well, I'll, I can preach for you um, when I'm on vacation. And so, um, so I preached over the last couple of weeks um, at a couple of friends' church. And it was really fun. It was really good. Uh, we were busy. We went up to visit Nathaniel in college. We went out and saw Angela uh, or she came in and saw us where we were near, uh, near Santa Barbara. So it was just a really, really busy vacation. We got to go on a, a pastoral retreat as well during that time. Traveled to see my parents. So we did a lot of things. And when, the, when we started to get to the end of the vacation, I said to Carol, I said, you know, oh, I'm so glad this vacation is almost over. I need to get back to work. Uh, and, and so it was, it was a much better week this week, just being able to, to calm down and, and to spend some time um, to just sit. And, and in my job, of course, I, I do a lot of sitting. And I do a lot of studying, and, and I do a lot of meetings. And over time, it could become a rut. And I think that for many of us, these are things that can happen. We can get into a very busy rut, and we don't take time for ourselves, and we don't take time for God. And I could say that unequivocally, the best times of my vacation were two or three days where I got to be alone, just alone, and just to spend some time by myself and so spend some time with God. So even in the midst of two very, very busy weeks, I still got to have some time alone, and it was so wonderful. It hasn't always been like that for me. Uh, being alone has often been associated with being lonely. I remember growing up, that I was at, a, and I still have this picture in my mind, uh, in grade school. And so I was going to the open house with my parents, and, you know, when parents come, they're often meeting the teacher for the first time. And so they were greeting my teacher, and I'm standing right there, and I'm looking up, and I still remember my mom saying to the teacher, you know, she's trying to describe me a little better so the teacher also gets to know me. And my mom says, well, you know, Curtis is, is a lonely child. And I remember, like, looking up at my mom going, you understand. You understand. I, I was just a little kid. I was maybe eight years old, ten years old. I looked up, 
And I go, wow, mom understands. I feel lonely. And I kept listening to the discussion, and then I realized, oh, what mom was saying is, Curtis is an only child. But I had heard lonely. And I am an only child. And, and this has always been something that's, that's been rather difficult for me. Being alone meant I had to be with myself. And sometimes I just didn't like that. And so being alone and being lonely were synonyms. But as I got older, I began to learn that they're not synonyms at all. In fact, one can be alone and actually be in perfect communion and at peace with oneself, with the society that he lives in or she lives in, and most importantly, with God. For me, when I was growing up and struggling, and still sometimes I still feel these things, I still struggle with them, sometimes being alone feels like solitary confinement. And you know, like, that's a punishment for people in prison, to have absolutely no interaction with other people. And it's meant to, to discipline them, it's even meant to, in a way, try to fix them, but it doesn't work. We were not made as people to be alone, to have a, a confinement. And even for those of us like myself, who's more of an introvert than an extrovert, who enjoys alone time, I can't live there. That won't help me in the long run. But there is a need for alone time with a purpose. And that's what we're talking about here today. A time to be alone with a purpose. And that purpose is that God would refine us. That God would refine the people that we are. Years ago, I began to learn about the blessings of being alone. And how that was a blessing to do the other things of life. So that I would not only be able to take care of myself, but I would better be able to interact with other people. Thomas Merton, who's been an important mentor by books to me, says this, and it's in your outline. And so if you're, if you don't, if you're taking notes, you can take notes there, but everything's already there, and you can just listen if you want and review it later. But Thomas Merton says, It is better to remain alone and to care for your soul than to neglect yourself and work miracles. I mean, as a pastor, I would love to work miracles. I would love to be busy. And, and that is my default. I love to work. That's just something that I've always enjoyed growing up. I, I enjoy work. I enjoy being busy. Yet, I'm, I'm still a bit of an introvert. But what Merton is saying is it's better, and I know that many of you struggle with that, about being very busy, about wanting to see great things happen through your life and through your family's life. But he says it's better to remain alone and to take care of your soul than to do great things with many people. And so this is message is about taking care of our soul, taking care of the part of us that only God sees and can touch, and yet which we live with every day. We're talking about a Sabbath way of life in this series, a life that allows us to have times to just stop and to listen and to see and to touch and to feel and to know what life really is about. We need this. We need to stop to be able to do that. And what solitude does, spending time alone with a purpose, it refines us. So it's not solitary confinement, but rather it is solitary refinement. It is something that is good for our souls. It is something that helps us throughout the week. I would say we need this a little bit every day, but we definitely need it for a few hours every week. A time where we are being able to be refreshed and refined through some time of solitude. Richard Foster, who was one of my professors in seminary, said this. We can cultivate an inner solitude and silence that sets us free from loneliness and fear. Loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. Inner fulfillment. I wonder how many of you might say right now, you know, I'm kind of missing that. I'm kind of missing that inner fulfillment. I have a lot of fulfillment other ways. My bank account's pretty good. I, my, my calendar is really packed. 
Um, I have lots of stuff to do. Um, I have lots of friends. In fact, I have so many friends I can't meet with them all, you know. But there's something missing, some inner fulfillment. And it's the way of solitude that helps us to find that and that God begins to refine us in such a way that these things begin to sparkle. I want us to look just real quickly at three people that experienced solitude, that began to refine them, and and they stand out as examples for you and for me. And the first one is the patriarch of the Old Testament, Jacob. And Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. So Abraham's son was Isaac. Isaac's son was Jacob. And so in Genesis chapter 32, verse 24, I'm going to read, and you can follow along there. And it says, so Jacob was left alone. He's all alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When this man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. That was an amazing picture of something that happened to Jacob where God, either through an angel or actually through his own manifestation, wrestled with Jacob. And he allowed Jacob to hold on. And he didn't defeat Jacob, but he allowed Jacob to wrestle with him. And there are times in our life where we will wrestle with God. And we will wrestle with men, as it says here. The reason Jacob wrestled with men is that he had a lot of hang-ups. His name, Jacob, means heal. How would you like to go around life knowing that you know, people go, hey, look, there's heal. Right? But the word heal in the Old Testament, it meant to, to trip up or to deceive. To trip up or to deceive. And that's what Jacob was like throughout most of his life. And then he had this problem not only with people, but with God. And so this night, God visited him. God wanted to bless Jacob. And so he began to take a hold of Jacob. And, you know, God does that in our own lives, too. God does things that allows us to know he's trying to get a hold of our lives. We're going to see some of those things that happen later on. But sometimes they're no fun. And, And God allows us to have these wrestling matches with people, with God, with ourselves. But he has a purpose. One of the purposes for you and for me is to persevere, to not give up, because that's what Jacob did. He wouldn't let go. He didn't give up. We can't give up. There are times where we want to give up in life in so many different ways, but God will be there with us if we hold on to him. But God would also want us to know that he wants to change us. So God changes Jacob here. And for the first time in the Bible, we see the word Israel. And Jacob's name was changed to that, Israel. And of course, that's what we know about nowadays. We hear about Israel all the time. The nation Israel came from Jacob. And so Israel has a different meaning. Israel means he struggles with God. He struggles with God. Jacob's identity was being formed here. And he would do that for the rest of his life. But God would use it to produce the tribes of Israel. God would use it to continue the covenant of his people. And God will use your struggles in your life as you struggle with him to help you to know your identity, to help you know who you are as a child of God, and he will use the things that you struggle with, not remove them. God hasn't removed the struggles of my life, but he's refined me through them. God probably won't remove many of the struggles of your life, but he will refine you through them. Now, Granted, and hopefully there'll be times where not only are we refined, but those things will be part of our past, just like loneliness is part of my past. But there are still moments where I feel really lonely. But I'm reminded that God is with me. There are times in our life where we feel like we have to run for our life, and that's David in Psalm 25, verse 16 through 20. And David writes in this psalm, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. 
The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. David felt lonely. The great king. He was afflicted. He had troubles. He had afflictions. He had distress. He had enemies. He needed God to rescue him. And when we feel that way, God says, run to me. Come to me in solitude. And God will take us not only as a refuge, but he will also refine us in that process. The apostle Paul had a great encounter with Jesus. He was an enemy of Christians. He was struck blind. He fell off his horse. He was converted to becoming a new believer in Jesus and even that, a leader of the church. But after he became a Christian, he was sent off to be alone. And we read about that in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from birth, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man. Here's Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, who planted so many of the churches that we read in the Bible, and he did not consult men. God didn't use people to help build up Paul at the beginning of his faith. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia, which is the desert, and later returned to Damascus. So Paul had to spend time alone. He had to be alone with God at the beginning part of his spiritual life for at least three years to grow in being ready to become the great apostle that we now know. Now these are three examples from the Old Testament of refining, but our greatest example of all is Jesus. Jesus was we might even say is an only child. Jesus knows what it's like to be lonely. Jesus understands aloneness. He came from heaven to be on earth as God and yet as a man. And people didn't understand it and people rejected him. But he understood what it meant to have solitude. And so we're going to learn from Jesus for the rest of this message of what it means to be alone with God. And the first thing is that we need to understand that aloneness is an invitation. Solitude is an invitation given by God through the Holy Spirit to be with him. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Jesus is beginning his ministry here. He's been baptized by John the Baptist. And when he comes up out of the water, he is touched. He is experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And immediately the Spirit leads him into the desert to be alone. And he fasts for 40 days and for 40 nights. He is absolutely alone. But he is with God. Jesus was led by the Spirit to do this. And we will be led by the Spirit as well. Solitude is a Spirit-led desire and decision to purposefully withdraw from social interaction so that I can draw closer to God and enjoy His company. Solitude is Spirit-led. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, led His disciples. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, will lead us. Jesus living in us, and the Holy Spirit living in us will continue to lead us even as Jesus led his disciples. In Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 33, we see a beautiful story, and one so true of our own lives, that we can become so busy in life that we begin to have such a great need that Jesus sees it, and he invites us to be alone with him. Would you read these verses with me? Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 33. Let's say it together. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have chance to eat. He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. 
two things Jesus wanted to take care of for his disciples. One was give them a time to eat. He wanted them to have the ability to physically be restored. But he also wanted them to be in a quiet place with him. Come with me. When we go and we are with Jesus, when we go and we are with God, when we go and we seek to spend time in a solitary place, the number one priority of that time is to seek God and to seek his friendship. In Jeremiah 29, 13 through 14, it says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. That is a promise. Would you read that with me? Say it out loud. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. To make a commitment, whether it be for 15 minutes, whether it be for an hour or longer, to say, God, I'm committing these moments to just being with you, to seeking you out, to be found by you. God, I want to be alone so that I can know you better. Solitude is for that very, very purpose. And it is spirit-led, it is spirit-blessed, and then the spirit will bring blessings and fruit from that time. I want us to look from Jesus' life. What are these blessings that God might give to us as we spend time with him? Now, each one of us here, we could all go and spend time alone with God, and each of us would need different blessings. Now, we have the same God, we have the same scriptures, we have the same spirit, but as human beings, we have the same needs. But in reality, as individuals, we have unique needs within those same areas of life. So we all have relational issues. They're all different people that we relate to. God will minister to those. We all have financial issues. They're all different within our own context. God will relate to them. We all have spiritual issues. God knows our hearts. He knows how each one of us made. None of us are exactly the same. God will personalize he will personalize his blessings for us. God wants us to have a solitude so that we will be better people. When we are a healthier people, we'll have a healthier community. When we are healthier people as in our own homes, we will have a healthier church. So God wants us to have solitude on our own so that we'll bless our families or those that we live with. And then when we come into larger social gatherings, God would bless them because we are healthier people ourselves. We need both. So it's not being just alone that would bless us. We also have to have social interaction. But certainly it is not just social interaction that we need. We need to have solitude and time alone. Solitude is not being a hermit. Okay? I think maybe you know, we think of it as an ascetic, as somebody who just goes out into the desert and just is alone all the time. And it's not like that, but we need alone times. So that when we come and we socialize, we have the strength and the wisdom and the ability to minister to other people and to love other people and to enjoy other people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian who died for the Lord during the Second World War. He wrote many great books, but in one of his books called Life Together, a book about Christian community, he writes these words. You have it there in your outline. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. These, these are really deep words. And these are words that, that it would be great to just to sit down with for five minutes and just think it out. What is he saying here? He's saying that solitude by itself is good. Being social and in community is good. But they both need to be built up by the strength of each other. And if we want good fellowship, we have to have deep solitude. And if we want to be able to use our solitude in such a way that blesses people and serves God, we have to be in social areas. 
And if we don't, we end up selfish. And if we don't, we might end up just depressed. But if we put them together in such a way that we spend time alone and we think about life and we ask God to speak into that areas of our life, God will speak, but we need to spend time alone. Not many of us learn life lessons when we're at a party, but we love parties. But we can learn life lessons after a party if we think about it. Now, I like parties, and, and I've had some pretty big parties in my life, and it's fun, you know. People celebrate you, and they come, and they bring presents, and you have a great time. The social atmosphere of that is, is wonderful. It's marvelous, and you enjoy it. But what I find is the better times is after the party. And, you know, you go home, and you open up the gifts, and, and you look at these gifts, and you go, wow, you know, somebody individually bought that for me. But then you might read the birthday cards or the anniversary cards or the wedding cards when you're alone now. And people might be sharing with you something personal about why they love you, about why they care about you, about why they chose that gift. So the party was important and it was good, but it was when we were alone and we read the cards. It was when we were alone and we thought about the person who gave us the gift that the greater meaning and the blessing of the social atmosphere becomes relevant to our spirits and to our lives, and we see the value and the power of it. And so we need both. We enjoy both the party, but also the time to be alone. God brings many blessings to us personally if we would just take those times like a little gift and sit down with them and read it in his word, and think about it, and pray about it. Many of us have some big decisions to make. This happens to all of us at different times. By being alone, God will personally help you, give you direction for important decisions. In Luke chapter 6, we see this in the life of Jesus. Verse 12, he says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. Jesus is omnipotent. Jesus is omniscient. But Jesus still needed time to be alone with God before in his humanity he chose his 12 apostles. We need to spend time alone with God before we make big decisions. Just think of some maybe big decisions that you've made in the past where you didn't think about it, and then maybe things didn't go so well. Or maybe think about some big decisions that you've made in the past where you really did think about it. You sought people's wisdom. You sought people's help. You sought God's help, and then the decision went well. Jesus wants us to spend time alone so that we get his direction for those important times. Spending time alone with God will also help us in times of mourning, of mourning a great loss. Jesus was mourning in these passages in Matthew 14, verse 12. His cousin, his friend, John the Baptist, the one who baptized him, had been beheaded. Jesus had just heard word of that. And the Bible says in Mark, Matthew 14, verse 12, John's disciples came and took John's body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. For those of us who go through times of great mourning, we need also times of solitude with God. Even Jesus mourned, and he spent time alone with God to deal with his feelings and to find God's help and presence. A third way, actually a third and a fourth way, that God helps us in times of solitary is giving us physical strength and spiritual wisdom. Again, Jesus had a very busy life. Jesus had been working really hard in Mark chapter 1. We see it begins with his ministry in Capernaum. 
And he had spent a whole day ministering to people. He had spoken at the synagogue. He had cast out demons. He, was, he had healed Peter's mother-in-law, Peter's mother. He was being able to do many different things. And then at night, he served many different people. Even after the sunset, it says that he served many different people. He got a little bit of rest. And then the Bible says in verse 35 of Mark chapter 1, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, <coughs> And went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus had just spent the previous day nonstop in ministry. He went to bed probably pretty late. But still, he got up early. Very early in the morning. While it was still dark. Have you ever done that in your spiritual life? Had a really busy life? Busy day? Stressful day? And decided to get up early to spend time with God? I don't think you have to do it all the time. But, but how many of you as a student did that? Where you stayed up really late, you studied really hard, and then you got up really early to study some more before an important test. Any of you do that? I did. And I think to myself, well, if I would do that for grades, shouldn't I do that for my spirit? Shouldn't I do that? If it's that important for me to do something like that, I mean, you know, to get up really early in the morning. When was the last time you got really early in the morning? Like maybe to go fishing, right? As the, as the early fisherman catches the fish, that God wants us. Say, like, you know, if you do all these things for other things, get up early, get your kids ready for school, get up early so you can get ready for work, get up early so you can study, get up early so you can have some fun. You ever get up early? Take care of your soul. Spend time with God. And God will bless us with physical renewal and with spiritual wisdom. Then, there's also the blessing that Jesus shows us of prayers that build fellowship. Not not praying a list, not praying to get answers, but praying to be with God. That's really the best reason to pray. Normally, we, we pray very functionally. Like, we pray to get what we want. And we pray to get what somebody else wants. But God says that the idea of prayer is to spend time with him alone. Prayers build fellowship with God. That's why Jesus prayed in Luke chapter 5, verse 15. Jesus has been really, really popular. And the Bible says, yet the news about him spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus would withdraw to places of solitude to pray, even in the midst of successful ministry. God wants us to spend time with him. He understands how hard life is. He knows that there are times when you get really confused. He knows that there are times when we don't know what to do. He knows there's times when I try to do the best I can and things don't work out and I get confused. I wonder if I did the right thing. He knows there's times that I question even my spiritual life. He knows there's times that I question even him. But he also knows when I spend time with him alone that I am trying. That at least I'm trying. And again, Thomas Merton speaks about this. And he, he speaks about it in this really little book. And you can just go online and look. It's called Thoughts in Solitude. It's, just, it's like this big. It's like two by three. And it's maybe a half an inch thick. And it actually has some pretty big print inside too. And so it's just a really great little book to carry with you when you go in solitude. It's called Thoughts in Solitude. And he just has some amazing things and insights into it. And in this little book, he has a prayer. And this prayer has so often been how I have felt in my life. And you have it there on the back of your outline. So if you turn your outline over, you'll see the prayer at the top. I'll read it and you can follow. And there Merton writes, My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Do do I really know myself? And the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I... I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. 
I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road. Though I may know nothing about it, therefore will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. God wants us to be alone with him, to know the depth of his presence with us in prayer and in fellowship, that we can be with God just as we are confused, broken, uncertain people, but people who would say, at least God, at least this, I am holding on to you and I am seeking you. Jesus also prayed to prepare for service and for sacrifice. And for the greatest sacrifice of all, he prepared himself through prayer. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, the Bible says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And this is the place of prayer for Jesus a place that he sought God's will, a place that he was trembling over the realities of the cross before him, but he said, God, not my will, but yours be done. That's what we can say in times of prayer. That's what we can say before we have a time of great service or sacrifice. God, not my will, but yours be done. That we would be able to be alone with God before the most difficult moments of our faith in God is lived out that we are willing to sacrifice, we are willing to serve, but we need God's presence in our lives. We need to be aware of that presence. And so we seek it when we are time in times alone with him. And then finally, time alone with God feeds our passion for God. Time alone with God also feeds our compassion for people. The two will be one. If your passion for God is growing, your compassion for people will be growing as well. Not necessarily the other way around. So we must always put our passion for God first. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 12, we had just read about Jesus going away because they had taken, um, because of of, uh, John's death. But then right after that, right after Jesus had gone away, after he heard that John had died, he had gone into a solitary place, he came back. And then in verse 14 of Matthew 14, the Bible says, when Jesus landed, remember he went in a boat, John had been beheaded, Jesus went to mourn, and Jesus spent time with God, and he came back, and then it says, when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. And so here he was, a man deeply mourning, but a man who had a passion for his God, so he went away to be with him. But when he came back, he still had compassion for the people. And this is what God can do in our own lives. It's not easy. It takes time. And so you have lots of suggestions on the back, and I just encourage you to take these notes home. Read through one thing that was encouraging to you in today's message. Read through one of the suggestions on the back. Maybe buy one of the books there and begin to read it that it might help you. Because solitude is the beginning of a relationship with God that we can get in no other way. Elizabeth Elliot, who some of us may have heard about, she is the wife of a famous missionary, Jim Elliot. And Jim Elliot um, was, was killed as a missionary in 1956. They'd only been married about three years, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, when her husband was killed. But she continued to serve God. She went back to the very tribe of the people that had killed her husband, and she evangelized them. She came back later, and she still served God with a whole heart. God brought another man into her life. And in 1969, she married this man. And four years later, he tragically died, and she was alone again. Years later, God blessed her, and and she married another man, and she remained married to him until she passed away last year. But she wrote many different books on purity and on passion. She wrote many books about God, but she also wrote a wonderful book about loneliness. And you have the title of that book on your back of your outline as well. 
And this book so helped me in seasons of loneliness in my life. But there's a quote here that was really key for me in this book. And I want to close with this. And you have this quote there in your outline. And Eliot says this. Turn your loneliness into solitude and your solitude into prayer. Loneliness is a wilderness, but through receiving it as a gift, accepting it from the hand of God and offering it back to him with thanksgiving, it may become a pathway to holiness, to glory, and to God himself. Loneliness is a gift. That was the phrase that so blessed me to begin to see that even the darkest and most difficult times of life is a gift. For me, it was God's choice. It was a gift to be a lonely or only child. And whatever you're going through and whatever difficulties you face, whatever needs you have, wherever there may be a sense where you feel alone or all alone or nobody understands, know this, God understands. And he has an answer. And he wants to turn that loneliness into a gift for you so that you can love him more and have more passion for him to see his holiness, to see his glory, and to see him himself. That's the blessing of solitary time. And that's the results of solitary refinement. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your word and we thank you for the promises and Lord just looking at so many of these scriptures we see that Jesus was alone a lot and it wasn't because people left him all the time it's because he left the people to be alone with you Lord may we learn from his example that spending time with you alone is not only good but necessary and that it is not a punishment it is not solitary confinement, but it is a time of refinement, a time of passion for you, a time of building fellowship with you, a time of growing the most important part of our hearts and of our souls, where you live and where we live with you. Help us, Lord, to seek out and to enjoy this solitary, alone time with our amazing God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Purify my heart, let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart, let me be as gold, pure gold, refiner's my heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be holy, set apart for you. Ready to do your will. Purify my heart, let me breathe within and make me holy. Purify my heart, cleanse me from my sin. Deep within, refine 
pray that the words we just sang indeed are a prayer that we want to receive from you within the fire this deeper relationship with you and to know you as holy and to be made holy as well. We ask, Father, that by your mercy and your grace you would grant this to us. And now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen. Happy Sabbath. Happy Sunday. God bless.